have my trust in no book. And good thing I have my dear old thing. It can be frustrating to think these two problems coexist in our community, food scarcity and food waste. Food Connection is an Asheville nonprofit addressing both ends of it. We discovered something that I think was shocking to all of us. 14% of the population is identified as experiencing food insecurity, and that means they don't always have enough food to eat three meals a day. Of folks that don't always have enough to eat, as much as 30% also don't qualify for food assistance. I'm Matt Pikin. My guests today on The Overlook are Flory Pate, the founder of Food Connection, and Marisha McMorrin, who owned a catering company before coming onto the organization, first as a board member and now as executive director. They call their work Food Rescue, delivering prepared foods to residential centers and individual homes. We talk about the seeds and details of that work, their creative pivot during the pandemic, and how even amid tangible success, they believe food connection is always in a struggle to meet the community's growing needs. We'll get to my conversation in just a moment, but I first want you to meet Jennifer Goodier of Davidia Realty. You can't have a better advocate when you're house hunting, and I can tell you this because Jennifer stuck with me for the five months it took to find my Asheville house four years ago. Jennifer is known to go the extra mile and the extra crawl space to save her clients time and money. I go through a house with an inspector's eye. I crawl into the crawl space. I look at things that are going to show up on a home inspection that might be big issues. And having that upfront knowledge of what you're getting into really helps you understand what might be negotiable, what might not be negotiable during the transaction. What I tell my clients is I wouldn't put you in a home that I wouldn't buy myself. In this competitive home buying market, reach out to Jennifer at Davidia Realty to help give you the edge. Go to Davidia Realty, that's D-I-V-I-T-I-A Realty.com. I started my conversation by asking Flory Pate about the kernel of her awareness that led to Food Connection. My husband and I started a company here in Asheville called Dig Local, that is an app and website that supports local businesses. So we were meeting with Pax Tavern about their Dig Local account, and they just happened to complain that they had a private event space upstairs and that they were going to be throwing away so much unserved food, literally untouched trays of food that would just not even make it out to the party during the holidays and just asked what Dig Local could do about it. So I can imagine when you hear something like that, most people would think, oh, that's awful. That shouldn't be. It's another to do something about it, let alone have something that's going to then define your life at least 10 years forward. So when you heard that information, did you think right away, I want to do something about this? Or did the notion of doing something about it just happen to you? That's interesting. I, No one had ever voiced anything like this to me before. And we had literally just launched our business maybe 10 months prior and we were struggling just to put food on our own table. And But the question, I couldn't get it out of my brain. Like knowing that the rate of food insecurity in the Asheville area is staggering and that the same food that people travel from faraway places to enjoy and eat was ending up in the trash without ever even making it to someone's plate. 
made no sense. So we were working out of our home at the time. And we drove up Merriman Avenue past my church, Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You might know it as the church beside the McDonald's with a huge community garden. And I called my friend who manages the garden and I just said, there's this strange problem happening and I have a feeling that Pax isn't the only place where food is being discarded. And so we met and we hatched a plan. It was literally maybe three meetings. We didn't get a big committee involved. We're just like, this is a ridiculous problem. We're gonna do something about it. We looped in Woody McKee from AVL Ride to help with food deliveries and then fast forward, we've since delivered over half a million meals and we've kept over 205 tons of fresh food out of the Buncombe County landfill. Tell me about the variety of sources where your food comes from. At first, it gen the genesis, or at least the start, was restaurants that deal with a lot of food, prepared food. Not the individual places, but what are the types of sources where your food comes from? So because of Dig Local and the relationships we have with all of the restaurant owners, I was thinking that would be floodgates of food. But when I approached the restaurants and said, it's really a quantity to feed 18 to 20 people or more. And they looked at me and they said, if we have that much leftover food at the end of the night, we're going to go out of business. So it's really not the restaurants, as you might think. So it is catering, weddings, conferences, retirement centers, and it's people that are serving perhaps a buffet line or a catered event where people are paying $100 a head and the worst thing that could happen is you run out of food. So people prepare more than they could possibly serve just for that extra protection. What was happening in this realm before the genesis of Food Connection, was anybody addressing food waste? And if not, were there models elsewhere? Or did you just feel it through one conversation at a time? Because I haven't really worked in the food industry, we had to do some research. And then we found the Bill Emerson Act that was put in place in 1996. Bill Emerson was a senator that just deeply cared about the issues of hunger among Americans and food waste. The original one says basically if you're operating in good faith, the food you're donating is safe, then it frees you of liability if it's donated to a nonprofit. So you mentioned the Bill Emerson Food Donation Act. Yes. Was there a general belief among the sources of this food waste, if this food isn't used, it has to go yes. to waste? Yeah, Marisha, explain this. Yeah, so I met Flory because I was, at the time, operations manager for Selene and Company Catering, who was a big event production catering company in Asheville, and we would always share leftover food with the staff, and then we would throw the rest away. And I, contrary to Flory, have a lifelong background in history in food service and grew up in a family restaurant. And then in Asheville, between my professional career spouts, like most professionals worked in and out of the food service industry as well, so when I got that call from Flory, I think it was the second call after Pax Tavern, and she called to talk about Dig Local, do you ever have food that's left over? And if you, we said we do, and she said if we had somebody, if you had a way to donate it to folks in need, would you do it? And it was just like a light bulb in this game changer, and she told us about the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Food Donation Act and liability protection, which was the only hesitation to ever do that, it, just a misconception. So, or a lack of education. And so we came on as the second food donor partner in at the very beginning of 2015. 
the exciting thing that has just passed as of January 5th of this year is the Food Donation Improvement Act, which a group of us from Food Connection actually went to D.C. in July and lobbied for this. And it's a game changer because despite the Bill Emerson law that's been in place for a few decades, some people still wouldn't donate because what does it mean, good faith, and what exactly can I donate as a big corporation? Even the Super Bowl a few nights ago, they ran with the Food Donation Improvement Act and donated just tons, literal tons and tons of food. Now, you said this new version of the act is a game changer. Yes. What's new about this new version, Marisha? Yeah, so the Food Donation Improvement Act is doing a couple of things. The original Bill Emerson Act limited food donation liability protection if a business were to donate to a nonprofit. Now, the Food Donation Improvement Act will allow for businesses to directly donate to individuals, which is great. And some folks will have asked us since this passage, what if this puts you Food Connection out of business? We're never concerned about that because if no food was ever wasted and nobody was hungry and Food Connection didn't have a job, we would feel like that's a win. I feel personally like the donation directly to individuals will really be beneficial and come into play in less densely populated areas. As Flory had mentioned, there are food rescue organizations in, I would say, most big cities across the United States in some form or fashion. Some of that food rescue is prepared food like we do. Some of it is gleaning produce or near expiration grocery products. And that works really well in big cities through an organization like ours. But when you get into more rural areas where there may be a conference center or a ski resort or something that's more isolated ge geographically and educating those organizations that they can give directly to their neighbors without having to go through a nonprofit, I think will encourage more donations and will make it easier and give that liability protection to get that food right to people. Getting these food sources on board with this, is that a challenge? I think that where the challenge was originally and that we still face is with larger corporations where there's a bigger ladder to climb to get to somebody to, to make that decision. But some of our biggest food donors are UNCA and the Omni Grove Park Inn, looking to them and saying these are really established, credible organizations and Omni is a huge corporation and they are donating and you should be too. And so I, I feel like that helps to give some confidence in our food donors that yes, it's okay. And then yes, it's worth it. Especially when we paint, when we're able to paint the picture of what decreasing that food waste going into the landfill does to the environment and the impact that it makes on the folks living right in our communities who receive that food. Now, as you started attracting and getting these food sources on board, did you have a capacity issue? Like, how are we gonna get all this food? <laughs> Who's gonna pick it up? So originally, that was the beauty of the partnership with AVL Ride, because packs may have their food at 10 or 11 at night, and you didn't wanna be under the covers dozing off. Okay, get up, go pick up the food. Because they had taxi dispatch 24-7, they said, you send us a text, we'll send a driver within 10 or 15 minutes and take it to a designated nonprofit. And But that was if you were within a three-mile radius of the heart of downtown. 
they could justify that. That's not a very wide radius. It wasn't, but also the pan of lasagna can't tip the driver. Like they would pay the drivers, but the drivers probably preferred to be taking tourists around getting big tips. So anyway, then when UNCA called and said that they were interested in learning more, that was great, but we had to get really organized and say, okay, what days of the week, what time of the day, and then we could loop in volunteers for regularly scheduled pickups. And that's how it's been with some of our camps and conference centers. We know which days of the week and we can arrange volunteers and we have an incredible group of volunteers. Do you ever pick up the food and think, I'm taking some of this home? Like, like <laughs> is something ever that good? <laughs> I can imagine like some of these volunteers are like, come on, I gotta get some We of might glean some lemon bars and some cookies <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So we've established who your sources are. We've established the growth of your network that is transporting this food. Who receives this food? Who were the f initial recipients of this and how has that network grown from there? Our launch partner was Beloved and we were able to help them secure a big Thermo Fisher refrigerator to put some of the food in and then we branched out to the Veterans Restoration Quarter and we were working with them in the rescue mission initially in Trinity Place. I'm so sad that they're not there anymore, but Trinity Place for Runaway Youth. And those are our initial organizations that would receive food. But through the pandemic, we were able to, with the gift of an anonymous donation, hire some local chefs to make individual meals for us. And then all of a sudden that was a game changer because we could then go directly into neighborhoods. I read about that. You had an anonymous $200,000 donation. That's huge for any nonprofit. What did this allow you to do? And this came during the pandemic, right? Yes, like at the very beginning of the pandemic. It got very quiet. The restaurants were calling saying, can you, I've got to clear out my walk-in. And so we were doing a lot of pickups from the restaurants. And then Wicked Weed said that they would like to make some meals for us to donate, and I mean, for us to distribute. And so we started picking up meals from them. And then we added a shopping cart feature on our website where people could purchase meals for oh. other people. And so that was going on. We were putting it out on social media. And then the check arrives. And <laughs> yes, for our organization, that was a huge amount of money. But you think about it, all the chefs and kitchens had furloughed people and we were able to not only work with Wicked Weed but work with some of our other chef partners and get them back to work making meals for us to purchase from them at a reasonable rate to get out to people in need. Matt Pikin here from The Overlook. Just as I interview my guests, I interview my sponsors. Those conversations are what you hear as advertisements on The Overlook. No other media outlet in town gives you that much time for your messages. So your ads don't sound like ads. They sound like advice or points of view that really help listeners. And that's how listeners of The Overlook will come to think of you as helpful members of the community. Become a sponsor of The Overlook. Email me at matt at podavl.com. In the second half of our conversation, Flory and Marisha talked about the creative ways they handled the pandemic and how so many factors in life can be barriers between people and access to quality food. You mentioned equity in your work and an effort to serve and work with people of color was part of it. And I took the name of Chef Clarence Robinson. Tell listeners who Chef Robinson is. 
So Chef Clarence Robinson is an African-American, very talented chef. His food is delicious if you haven't had it. He has his own Hopefully food. it's delicious if you have had it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, if you have had it. <laughs> chef Clarence Robinson is an amazingly talented chef, and he has his own food truck called Cooking with Comedy Catering and Soul on the Road. And so he does all sorts of catered events and everything. So we were lucky enough to be able to hire him during the pandemic to make some of our chef meals and people went crazy over them. They're so good. So this is what's very cool about the $200,000. So he was renting a commissary kitchen off Sweeten Creek Road, and then we were able to purchase his meals, and he was able to save up enough money with, with that donation and then some other jobs to purchase his food truck. Wow. And so that was really something that we were so grateful to be a small part of. Talk about that a little bit, because that seems a little bit of a, not a detour from your mission, but certainly, I guess, an extension from your mission initially of rescued food. This seems like working with chefs is they are preparing meals for you. Talk about the unique purpose of that realm of what Food Connection does. That was, and I, this word is so overused since the pandemic, but that was our pivot. And that was us thinking on our feet when our phone's ringing off the hook from people that are used to getting our food saying, we really need food, times are scary, things are dire. And we couldn't just sit back. We had to think outside the box of our normal rescuing food because all the events had closed. Like we, we were still rescuing a tiny bit of food, but nothing like we were before. So we had to do something. So was this the something, was it both to put individual chefs and kitchens to work that weren't working and deliver meals to individuals in a way that you weren't serving before? It sounds like before you were serving rescue centers, rescue ministries, and veterans' homes, things like that. Was this the first effort that Food Connection made to serve individual people in individual homes? We had started our operation going directly into some communities in Swannanoa and taking them meals. But what this allowed us to do is to do a free curbside drive-through for everybody. So we started one really quickly when the pandemic had started, the service industry heroes curbside drive-through. All of the industry workers that were immediately laid off with no benefits, nothing, or no unemployment yet, they could come through and get as many meals as they wanted. And then we also started our Swannanoa drive-through, which is still going on today. It's like almost three years old. Every Saturday where we are like, let anybody come up and we give them as many individual meals as they want to heat and serve. So as we're writing grants and partnering with other agencies to figure out who needs this food and where is the need the greatest, we discovered something that I think was shocking to all of us. 14% of the population is identified as experiencing food insecurity, and that means they don't always have enough food to eat three meals a day mm. for their entire family. Of that population of folks that don't have an, always have enough to eat, as much as 30% also don't qualify for food assistance. So many working families and seniors living on fixed incomes as well don't have enough to eat and they're having to make difficult decisions every week. Do I buy medication? Do I buy food? Do I pay my rent? Do I pay my electricity? Or do I buy a quality of food that is nutritious? Or am I scaling back to something that's more affordable that may not be as nutritious? That's astounding. You mentioned a statistic. You said 14% of people in this region are food insecure. And you said of that, 30% don't qualify for assistance. How is that possible? How 
are they food insecure and yet don't qualify for assistance? So federal food assistance is measured on a national income level. And as we know, the cost of living in the city limits of Asheville or Buncombe County is a lot higher than somebody who may be living in rural Kansas. So food insecurity doesn't know what town you're living in. The 30% of that 14% that don't qualify they don't qualify because they don't meet a certain federal standard, and that also isn't taking into account where you live. That's correct. And then also people have life circumstance that we don't know about. So you may be a single earner without children, and you may have a $70,000 a year income, but then you may have just lost your job, or you may have not had good health insurance and suffered a major medical setback that has drained your, your reserves. And so we see a lot of folks that come to us for many different reasons, and one thing that makes Food Connection unique because of these things that we know and the regulations and how they don't always seem fair and just because they are a regulation that's put on paper and doesn't have that human connection, that Food Connection serves everybody with no questions asked. So if you come to one of our distributions and you're in a nice suit and you may be driving a nice car, we will still happily give you meals as an equitable sharing of meals, just the same as anybody who comes to us. And what we have seen several times over the last few years is that we'll have seniors come that are that have cancer and they're going through chemo treatment. And so they may not be of retirement age or they may not be homebound and get meals on wheels. They may actually even have some have the money to buy healthy food, but they don't have the energy to cook it. You mentioned that there are sources of both food waste and people who need food who aren't getting it. Are there certain populations of need that you have either yet to serve or want to do more of? Is that you're looking forward in that way? Yeah, absolutely. There, There is no shortage of need in Western North Carolina. And as I had mentioned before, especially as you get into less densely populated rural areas where there are food deserts. In downtown Asheville, on a given day, if you need a meal, the likelihood is that you can find a meal, that there are agency partners, the, rest, the Western North Carolina Rescue Mission, the Haywood Street Respite, the Salvation Army, and Kenilworth is Loving Food Resources. There open Door. Are the Open Door, the Church of the Advocate. So there are several places to access food. But if you live out in the hollers and Sandy Mush and you're stretching your food dollars and your gas dollars, you may not be able to make that trip to drive into where Mana is handing out food boxes, or you may be able to make that trip once every few weeks. So supermarkets, you've got Ingalls, Whole Foods, Fresh Market, they have a number of prepared foods. Are you getting cooperation from grocery stores and supermarkets? There are some grocery stores right here in Asheville that donate to other nonprofits that they go and pick up, and that's great. We don't feel like we're competitive in that way. As a matter of fact, some of those same nonprofits will call us and say, we got too much from the source, and then can you take some? Or we'll say, can you take some of this? Or So that we're very cooperative in that fashion. I don't want to give the impression that none of these grocery stores that you mentioned donate food. Oh, so they do. It's just that they haven't made a connection with food connection. We're not currently oh, okay. rescuing prepared food from any grocery stores, although we're working on nurturing those relationships. A good example is Starbucks. Starbucks in their franchise, now this is excluding the Starbucks that are inside Ingalls stores because those are owned by Ingalls or operated by Ingalls, but the independent stores like on Charlotte Street and on Patton Avenue, the corporate policy, each individual store 
can choose. It's called food, their food sharing program. So they choose the nonprofit that they can share food with. So currently we're rescuing food a couple of times a week, the prepared sandwiches and pastries and things from Charlotte Street. And then we know that there are other organizations that are rescuing food from the other stores in and around Asheville. So when we're speaking about other organizations that rescue food, 12 Baskets comes to mind and they operate in West Asheville and they have a space where they give out food to the community that comes. They have a little bit of a pantry and they give out prepared meals too. And so they rescue food and get donated food from a few restaurants and a few grocery stores to serve their clients, where I think that a fine line or distinguishing factor between Food Connection will rescue food from anyone to prevent it from going into the landfill, and we will find a home for it and find somebody in need to enjoy that food, whether it's an agency partner or directly into neighborhoods. Or even we take food to 12 Baskets. Or we take food to 12 (laughs) Baskets. But some of the organizations like 12 Baskets will have that connection with a Starbucks or with a restaurant or with a fresh market and get that food, and they just serve it to the folks who come to them. It seems like you need a certain volume of food to come in. Is that a delicate balance? I think it's always been this little fine dance. Sometimes we'll find ourselves with too much and then you're just freaking out because you don't want to have to discard anything. But, But then on the other hand, we might have a new organization call us and say, hey, would you be able to bring meals? So I feel like we're doing a pretty good job in this area, but We know like right now in Henderson County and Highlands, North Carolina, like there's so much food being thrown away and there's so many people in need in those areas too. So that's what I've always thought about, just if you can disrupt some of these wasteful practices and make the connections with people who need food, we really would love to scale this model throughout Western North Carolina. I want to thank Flory Pate and Marisha McMorrin of Food Connection for today's conversation. If you want to comment about this or any other episode of The Overlook, even an idea for a future episode, leave a voice message. The number to call is 984-278-7301. You just might hear yourself on a future episode of The Overlook. The Asheville band The Resonant Rogues is allowing me to use their Maker's song as the theme music of The Overlook. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are online 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. Please follow for free on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook. <laughs>